so let's get right into this. Our scripture reading was just read. We'll read it again. Um, Philippians 2 and verse 5, which says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And our message, our final message in the series, the, the mind of Christ, is entitled The Mind of Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity to study your word. We thank you, Father, for being better to us than we are to ourselves. And Lord, as difficult as the times are, we praise you for your goodness. Lord, I ask that you speak through me once again. Let me not be seen or heard. Father God, we want to hear a word from you. Bless us to this end. Uh, this Sabbath, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So we are going to go to some evidences in the scripture of, um, of the mind of Christ, uh, what it's like, and especially in the prophetic, prophetic stream of things, what it looked like. So we're, what it looks like. So we're going to jump to the book of Luke, uh, chapter 23, starting at verse 32. This is one of the chapters of scripture that is very potent spiritually, as it is um, one of the chapters that describes uh, the crucifixion of Christ. We, we understand that at the cross, Satan was finally and completely defeated, um, no longer able to go into the heavenly realms like he did in the book of Job. Uh, and so these are important scriptures um, as we study them. And we're going to focus in on a small part of this um, as we look at what actually happened. So in Luke chapter 23 and verse 32, it says, and there were also two other malefactors led with him to be put to the death. When they, and when they were come to the place, which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the malefactors, one on his right hand and the other on the left. This is one of the gut-wrenching stories of scripture. When you begin the process of following Jesus from the Garden of Gethsemane um, to the, through the kangaroo court of the Sanhedrin, uh, to the, the, the lashings and beating, the trial in front of Pilate. And now he, he has stumbled and carried his cross on his own back. It is difficult to truly fathom uh, the pain, the anguish, and the suffering uh, that Christ experienced on this pathway. Imagine he was there in the beginning and said, let there be light. He was there in the beginning to shape man from the dust of the earth and to breathe into his nostrils the breath of life. And yet now, all that he has created has turned against him. Sin has almost as if it has reached its climax. Um, and in this moment, we are told in the book, The Desire of Ages, that Satan himself is there in human form, as are the demons egging on the crowd, making Christ's experience a more difficult suffering than any human would ever be able to understand or experience. As a sign of, the, of, the, of just how much Christ was detested, when he gets to be crucified, they bring him to this place. And, and being crucified really in and of itself wasn't special. The Romans used crucifixion. They'd taken it from one of the um, more Eastern civilizations, but they, the, the Romans perfected it. They crucified tens of thousands and maybe more people over, there, over time. But this crucifixion was different. On so many levels, this crucifixion 
was different. This was the son of the living God. He was perfect in character. He had never spoken an ill word to anyone, never harmed a soul in his entire life. He was sinless, the spotless lamb of God. And they put him between two malefactors, two thieves, as it were. The Desire of Ages, page 751, says this, the thieves crucified with Jesus were placed on either side, one and Jesus on, on, on either side, one and Jesus in the midst. This was done by the direction of the priests and rulers. Christ's position between the, the thieves was to indicate that he was the greatest criminal of the three. Thus was fulfilled the scripture. He was numbered with the transgressors. Isaiah 53 and verse 12. But the full meaning of their act, the priests did not see. As Jesus, crucified with the thieves, was placed in the midst, so his cross was placed in the midst of a world lying in sin. The story of Jesus is amazing. One of the passages of scripture that I love uh, is found in the book of Galatians, and it says, uh, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. And it says he was sent forth in the fullness of time. When Christ came to earth, the earth was uh, um, completely spiritually discombobulated. Darkness had taken the world and even the, 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 the slight flicker of light that was to be housed in the, in the children of Israel and by the children of Israel was beginning to darken as they turned their attentions away from eternity um, to the political uh, climate of the now. They wanted to be free from the oppression of Rome more than they wanted to be free from sin. Sin had taken over. And here now is Christ nailed to a cross between two thieves. To understand the mind of Christ, some of what he says on that cross is the best depiction of the condition and the, and the way that Christ's mind works. Luke 23 and verse 34, then said Jesus, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. This, this, is the, this again, it's the mind of Christ. He is selfless. Here he is being beaten. Here he is being spat upon, called every type of name. His body is in uh, um, uh, um, a state of, of almost shock as, as, you, as the crucifixion goes on. He's bleeding. He's, he's not eaten. He's not had anything to drink. Um, he is, his, his flesh is uncovered and ripped open by some of the beatings that he has gotten. Yet while he is on the cross, the words that come from Christ's mouth are to forgive those that have put him in this predicament. In fact, what's deep is that Jesus says, listen, they don't know what they're doing. The, after this, the, the, the scripture, to show you the indifference and the difference, to, 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 to put a, a diametrically opposed um, position between Christ and those who he was trying to save, that were trying to destroy him while he is asking for their forgiveness they are stealing his clothes and 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 gambling over it 
If we are to have the mind of Christ, and hopefully this liberates somebody listening, you have got to be willing to forgive those that have harmed you. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who uh, uh, have trespassed against us. We have to forgive others. And I tell you, in my life, one of the most difficult people to forgive, and I talk about this in a sermon I have on forgiveness, was my biological father who left my mother when I was two years old, um, actually married my mother's second cousin, um, and was, was pretty much absent in, in, in my life. The challenge of this, of course, when I played football, a Pop Warner football, high school football, he was never, you know, was, wasn't even in the same state. And I had brothers who grew, you know, and, and do, grew to, to, to really hate this man. But if you don't learn to forgive, the person you imprison is yourself. The mind of Christ says, listen, I, will, I, I understand my position in eternity. And holding a grudge is like holding a weight. It is like grabbing an anchor and being anchored and tethered to this earth, to the physical, to your experiences, rather than being freed so that you can move towards eternity. The mind of Christ, Jesus forgave. Luke 23 and verse 35, and people, and the people stood beholding. And the rulers also with them derided him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself. If he be Christ, the chosen of God. So the rulers, the Jews, began to mock him. He saved others, let him save himself, if he be Christ, the chosen of God. The soldiers also mocked him giving him uh, an off and, and offering him vinegar. Clearly he's, he's thirsty. They, they offer him vinegar. And even the, the Roman soldiers say, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Notice twice the two different groups represented here say that Christ should save himself. What's interesting is even the disciples thought he was going to be able to save himself. This is why Peter in the Garden of Gethsemane chops off the high priest Malchus's servant's ear. Uh, the high priest servant uh, Malchus chops off his ear. And to show you again the mind of Christ, rather than save himself, he takes the ear and puts it back on the high priest servant's head. He works a miracle for, um, for the servant of the man who is looking to his, to, for his death. Profound. But then he tells the disciples something very fascinating and interesting. He says to the disciples, don't you know that if I wanted to, I could call 10,000 angels. Jesus at any moment in this process, it was, it's the demonic what they're mocking him with. Satan is trying with the very last temptations to push Jesus to a place where he tries to free himself, knowing that Jesus has the power to call the angels. Remember that when Hezekiah uh, was surrounded by the Assyrian army and, um, and, and they were ready to pounce on him and he laid out the letters before God and he, and he cried out to God. The scripture says that one angel that night, just one angel, destroyed 180,000 of the Assyrian army. If Jesus could call 10,000, he could have answered their taunts. The mind of Christ is not reactionary. It does not react simply because it is being 
um, uh, teased or picked upon, bullied or abused, the mind of Christ stays focused. In Luke 23 and verse 38 and a, and a superscription also was written over him in letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. The, the Jewish leadership did not want this written over his head, but it was a statement of fact. Christ was kingly yet humble. Each of us is, is asked to be humble. We get into our story here, Luke chapter 23, and verse uh, 39. Luke 23 and verse 39 says, and one of the malefactors, which were hanged, railed on him saying, if you be Christ, save thyself and us. So everybody else is saying, listen, if you're Christ, the, the, the Jewish rulers and the, and the priests say, look, if you're Christ, save yourself. And the Roman soldiers say, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. The, 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 this thief hears them saying this and says, listen, if you are the Christ, don't just save yourself, save us too. But something happens here. In verse 40, it says, but the other answering rebuked him saying, dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man hath done nothing amiss. In the middle of the chaos of what is happening to Christ, as the two thieves are hung there, both representing the only two classes that really exist in the world. It's not black people and white people or Asian people and, um, and Middle Eastern people. It's There are two real classes in the world. There are sheep and goat. There are those that will choose God and those that will reject him. Ultimately, those are the, the final two groups of people that will be on earth. Both thieves probably started off not thinking very much of Jesus. Both had probably heard of his miracle working power and some of what he had done. Most in Jerusalem would have. But one of them, in his anger, wants Jesus to set them free. And he's, and he's actually taunting Christ like everyone else is. But something about the very uh, demeanor of Christ touches the second thief. The second thief looks at Christ and sees that he, he does not bear the marks of a criminal. He does not bear the marks of a hardened man, that just in the way that Christ uh, carries himself, just in the words he speaks, he must have heard him say, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Something rang true in the heart of the second thief, and he rebukes the first thief. He says, don't you fear God? We're in the same condemnation. We deserve what we're getting, verse 41. He says, this is our due reward, but he has done nothing amiss. He, the second thief recognizes this man is completely, completely innocent. And this second thief turns to Christ and he says, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, verily I say unto you, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Now, the comma, as we as Adventists always say, the comma is in a funny place there. Verily I say unto thee, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Because clearly Jesus didn't go to paradise that day. He went to the tomb and he was, when he, when he did meet uh, Mary, he said, don't touch me because I have not a, yet ascended to my father. So he was talking about uh, a later uh, paradise, but, but I don't want to get into that today. What I want to focus on is that this thief knew enough to ask Jesus to save him.
And there is power in the 42nd verse of Luke chapter 23. This thief understood that there was more than what was happening in the moment. And if we are to go from sinner, as the thief was, to the mind of Christ, one of the things that has to happen is we have got to shift where we focus. You see, when you focus on things, if what you focus on is the material, what's right in front of you, your neurons and the connections in your brain begin to create for you um, a, 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 a neural uh, uh, complex in the brain that is best at seeing that. But we as Christians are to look beyond the physical material world into the eternal one. Something happens with this thief in his interaction with Christ, where he is able to see that hanging on the cross, dying on the cross is really not the end. There's something about Jesus and this thief's mind begins to shift as it were, until finally the thief is in a place where he says, listen, I have so connected my mind with the mind of Christ that I simply want to be where he is. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. I have to say that of all that Jesus had gone through on this day, I can't imagine the way his heart must have fluttered the way his, his, um, the, the joy that must have come over Christ in that moment to realize that even in the, his darkest hour, Christ's love was able to reach a sinner, call him to repentance, and have him be saved. Verily I say unto you today, you shall be with me in paradise. Spirit of Prophecy says this, Desire of Ages, um, Page 751 and 752, it says, and the words of pardon spoken to the uh, penitent thief kindled a light that will shine to the earth's remotest bounds. With amazement, the angels beheld the infinite love of Jesus, who suffering the most intense agony of mind and body thought only of others and encouraged the penitent soul to believe. In his humiliation, he as a prophet had addressed the daughters of Jerusalem. As priest and advocate, he had pleaded with the father to forgive his murderers. As a loving savior, he had forgiven the sins of the penitent thief. In this sentence, you get a great picture of the mind of Christ. On his way to the cross, when we saw the women weep, he turned to them and said, O daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. Speaking of the destruction of Jerusalem that would come under Titus uh, in 40 years later. As a priest, he, he, he wanted this forgiveness even for those who were not asking for it. <clears throat> but as savior, he forgave this penitent thief. I want to submit to you that we have got to gain the mind of Christ because we are heading uh, um, straight way into the very last days of this earth's history. And we get this from Matthew chapter 24 and verse 7. I've been using Matthew chapter 24 a lot since this pandemic started. And I'm just going to go through some, some, some interesting tidbits prophetically and then, and then focus back on the mind of Christ and having a mind of Christ. But Matthew 24, 7 says, For nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. Love the verse. The word for nation there is the word ethnos, the word from which we get ethnicity. In fact, Christ, in warning his disciples of what 
what would come at the end tells them that the ethnic and racial strife um, that we see um, exaggerated in the last hundred years and beyond was predicted, that there was going to be tension. Things weren't necessarily going to always get better, that there would be tension. And we see that. And we see the wars and the kingdoms against kingdoms and the famines and, of course, the pestilences, earthquakes in diverse places. But the pestilences are for real. I mean, you look at uh, the novel coronavirus that nobody knew anything about uh, before, and you can see, you know, this is just up until the end of last year, that the, the numbers of the cases have shot up. This thing works different than than, um, than some of the other viruses we've ever seen by attaching the spike proteins into ACE2 receptors um, and wreaking havoc on those who are vulnerable. It is a very um, unique presentation of a disease and um, it has cost uh, millions of lives. Uh, I think worldwide, the death toll is now over 2 million. This slide is a little bit old. Um, and now as they roll out the vaccine, um, chaos and pandemonium has started. And clinics, I don't know how what it's like in Guam, but clinics in the United States have had to hire armed guards in some places. Here in Connecticut, um, the police had to be called to CVS Pharmacy um, because they were doing the vaccine and people from outside of the state came to try and get the vaccine and the police had to be called. These people refused to leave. They want the vaccine so bad. The virus has, has shown us uh, um, the worst of us at times. And it, technically, we're still seeing a bit of that. We are seeing that the virus, and I said this earlier in the week, I've said it since the pandemic started, I do not believe that the coming of this uh, coronavirus was a punishment on the world. But I do believe it was a warning. First for the non-believer, definitely for the believer, for the Christian. Here, America, the richest nation in the world, early on in the, in the pandemic, you know, we had reports of nurses in hospitals wearing, um, wearing um, garbage bags because they couldn't um, get proper PPE. Uh, we, we, you know, it was just bizarre. We, we you know, we, we, we've seen a botched responses, in it, not just in America, but around the world. People, we have, we've all put so much trust into governments and systems and hospital systems and, and the medical system. And now we're finding that, in fact, an invisible virus that didn't exist to, to our knowledge two years ago could sweep around the world and bring the entire world to its knees. So much so that, um, you know, in December, they, they, somebody, I saw this on, online, I thought it was crazy. There's 140,000 jobs lost in the United States in December. So it's not just the pandemic. The, there is um, food insecurity attached to it. Um, it is a dark day, just as for the, uh, the time of Christ, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. I believe we are back in the fullness of time. God is once again about to send forth his son. We need to have the mind of Christ. Of course, this was the big story um, in 2021. Everybody thought that when 2020 turned into 2021, we were all going to have good times and everything was going to get better. We thought everything was going to go smooth and we wouldn't have to worry about a whole lot. But we see that it, the trials didn't stop because the, the calendar changed. And this is because I believe God's spirit is being withdrawn from this earth. People are more concerned with themselves and with what's going on and, and the shock and the awe that goes on. We as Christians ought not be shocked the way the rest of the world is. Because our Bible says that after verse 7, Matthew chapter 24 and verse 8 says, all these are the beginning of sorrows. 
everything we're seeing, everything we're experiencing, everything that's happening is really just the beginning of sorrows. And for the Christian, if you do not have the mind of Christ, if you don't have the mind that Christ had in Gethsemane, when drops of blood uh, came out of his uh, sweat uh, glands, and when, when Christ, when the, the weight of the sins of the world were laid upon him, and he cried to his father, Lord, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. You never think about it, but that was a prayer that Christ prayed. He was praying, look, if there's another way, give it to me. And that prayer could not be answered in the affirmative. There was only one way. Even Christ knows what it's like to pray and have to still go through what you want to avoid. You've got to have the mind of Christ to survive the time of trouble. And here's the kicker. Christ's mind was such that even in the time of the most extreme trouble, he still thought of others first. The time of sorrows is coming. Matthew 24 and verse 9 says it like this. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you. And shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. There is a time coming when folk are going to turn one on the other. And like I said, the, the world is going to quickly begin to be divided into two groups. All of the little factions and languages and things that separate us now. Eventually, what's going to happen is going to be, whose side are you on? And Matthew 24, 21 says it like this. For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time. No, nor ever shall be. And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Christ, in the time of his crucifixion, went through great tribulation. In order to survive the time of trouble that is coming now, we are going to have to have the mind of Christ. In order to survive the persecution the difficulty and trial that is about to come on the earth, we're going to have to have the mind of Christ. In fact, Matthew 24 and verse 11 says it like this, and many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. The mind of Christ will keep us from being deceived. So you have to have the mind of Christ in order to survive the trials, but there is going to be incredible deception in the last days. I was on a call with a church group and one of the men, one of the, uh, a men's group, and one of the men, um, basically attacked, in my opinion, Adventism and Christianity as being inconsistent with science. And he was able to pontificate quite well. He was Ivy League educated on all uh, on reasons why, in essence, we are foolish as Christians uh, to believe um, that the world was really uh, created in six days. And, and he went on and on and on and on and on. And I want to submit to you that in the last days, if you don't have the mind of Christ, all the things we talked about all week, all the reasons that we need to have a healthy, strong mind and a, and a, and a, and a, and a vibrant, active, healthy prefrontal cortex is because we are going to have to discern. And, the, and what's important isn't simply that we'll be able to rationally think it out, but we need to have the kind of mind where the Holy Spirit can dwell and function and give us discernment. Matthew 24, 12 through 14 says, and because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. 
But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. The mind of Christ is going to be, is, is, it, if you have the mind of Christ, you're going to look very different than the world. Because in the world, the love of many is going to wax cold. Here's what's crazy. Just as Christ on the cross never stopped loving even those who persecuted and tormented him. He never stopped to the point where he was willing to forgive them on the cross itself. Our love having the mind of Christ must grow stronger. The work that many of you are doing um, on Guam and on some of the outer islands and, 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 and in uh, the general vicinity of, of Micronesia and the Pacific, uh, um, uh, Pacific Islands, the work that you're doing is a, is a, is a, is a work of love. It, is, it may not always be an easy work, but it is a work of great love. And, um, and I'll tell you, I, I was very much, it wasn't just those who had come from the mainland to Guam that, that thrilled my soul when I was in Guam. It was many of the people of the island that were born and raised there who were, who were through and through Christians who showed great love and, and were able to, and were so hospitable. I, I can tell you that it's going to be difficult if you don't have the mind of Christ to stay in a posture and a mindset of love as time goes on. But if we can be persistent and consistent, my Bible tells me in Matthew 24, 13, that he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. We must keep our hands to the plow. And of course, if you have the mind of Christ, you're gonna share the gospel. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world as a witness, and then shall the end come. So as a summary for the week, you can look at these things. The mind of Christ is a sober mind. We talked about um, uh, uh, be sober, be vigilant for your adversary, the, the devil walketh about like a Roman lion seeking whom he may devour. We talked about the impact of marijuana and alcohol, all the other drugs combined, but even things like pornography. And I didn't mention gambling, but anything that makes us uh, not be sober, that creates addiction, that, that takes away our focus from God, all of those things will be removed from the mind when you, when you want to have the mind of Christ, to have the this mind in you that was also in Christ Jesus will be sober, will be focused on the things of God, will be selfless as we learn in the story now. We will be sanctified. In order to receive the seal of God, our characters cannot have defects. Sanctification, the process of sanctification is what each one of us is going through. When you are going through trial and difficulty, Always ask God, what are you trying to teach me? What needs to be purged from my character? How is it that I need to grow? When I came to Guam, I was coming out of great trial and, and difficulty and had to leave Guam and go back into it. God allowed Guam to exist as a place where I was able to get um, respite and be strengthened to come back and fight. But I understood in the process of all I was going through as, as, as I was being um, um, almost like hunted down at the time for my, my religious beliefs, what I realized is I still had to stop and say to God, what do you want me to learn? How am I supposed to grow? If you want the mind of Christ, when trial comes your way, you do not lash out at God. You ask God, how can I grow in this situation? What is it in my character? What defect is it that needs to be excised that you're using the, the, the scalpel of this trial to remove? 
If you have the mind of Christ, you always seek the good of others. And you're strengthened. And I put the word strength in here. You're strengthened by the Holy Spirit to be persistent, to stay in the race no matter what. What? Even when you have doubts, you take your doubts to Christ, as we talked about earlier in the week. The mind of Christ is something that we all must go after because the Bible says that we not only are to have the mind of Christ, we are to have the faith of Christ, not just the faith in Christ, but the faith of Christ. And you can't have that if your mind is not in a position to be worked upon by the Holy Spirit. Ellen White says it like this. She says, it is no time for lightness, vanity, or trifling. The scenes of this earth's history are soon to close. Minds that have been left to loose thought need change. The apostle Peter says, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient, obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be you holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. When I read this, I was, you know, I had to stop and read this more than once uh, this week. And part of it is where it says, there's no time for lightness, vanity, or trifling. Minds that have been left to, to lose thought need change. I think about a lot of things. The Super Bowl is coming up, and I have to be honest with you, I'm too busy to really watch football, but my mind has been on the Super Bowl and who's going to win it. Um, you know, you, your mind goes to politics and, and, and contemplating what, the pol what, what politicians are doing and not doing. And there's a place for, all, for, for that, especially probably in the political realm, especially as we un understand prophecy. But we've got to have our minds sharpened and focused like Christ's mind was. Christ was singular in his intent from the last supper when he was trying to explain finally to his disciples one last go at trying to explain them what was about to happen. Christ had to be so focused that even when he told his disciples to watch and pray and they fell asleep, Christ could not just say, you know what, forget it. I'm going to lay down and sleep as well. He had to stay there and agonize with the father. Do you have the type of laser focus church that you will stay fixed on him come what may because we are called to be holy this is the perfection of the character that allows for the seal of god ellen white goes on to say loose thoughts must be gathered up and centered on god the very thoughts should be in obedience to the will of god praise should not be given or expected for this will have a tendency to foster self-confidence rather than increase humility to corrupt rather than to purify Men who are really qualified and who feel that they have a part to act in connection with the work of God will feel pressed beneath a sense of the sacredness of the work as a cart beneath sheaves. Now is the time to make the most earnest efforts to overcome the natural feelings of the carnal heart. Powerful words. She goes on to say this, sanctification. And this is actually from Acts of the Apostle, page 560. Sanctification is not the work of a moment, an hour, a day, but of a lifetime. It is not gained by a happy flight of feeling, 
but as the result of constantly dying to sin and constantly living for Christ. Wrongs cannot be righted nor reformations wrought in the character by feeble intermittent efforts. It is only by long persevering effort, sore discipline and stern conflict that we shall overcome. We know not one day how strong will be our conflict the next. It will take persistence. One of the things I like from here is, um, is that it is not gained by a happy a flight of feeling. And that's what a lot of churches are teaching now. It's really more about feeling. It's really about, about movements and swaying. But what, is, but what we're being called for is something much deeper than simply what we feel. It is an, an intellectual and spiritual understanding of the truth so that that truth changes how we live, how we exist in this world. Ellen White says, so long as Satan reigns, we shall have self to subdue besetting sins to overcome. So long as life shall last, there will be no stopping place, no point which we can reach and say, I have fully attained. Sanctification is the result of lifelong obedience. Sanctification is the result of lifelong obedience. And I can tell you, church, that it, these are the words of, of the spirit of prophecy here are very apropos for our day. We live in a time of feeling and of pleasure where people get um, are more concerned with getting what they want than being what God wants them to be. In many churches, the prayers are more that their pockets be filled than that their souls be purified. And we as a people have to come together and gain the mind of Christ. We've got to follow him whithersoever he leads. I mentioned this earlier in the week, um, the story of a friend of mine that I actually went to college with, um, whose testimony um, I can actually send around, you can really watch it. But he was um, getting into hip hop music and trying to be a rap star. And um, was trying to do some things in that field. I won't get into it in too much detail, but he aligned himself, um, not even really intentionally with someone who was actually quite dangerous. And this individual wound up, um, as my friend was driving the car, shooting and killing someone. Because uh, many of us come from a background that says snitches get stitches and you, know, you never wanna be a rat and you don't wanna be a snitch. He never said anything. Long story short, this young man who was a product of Adventist Academy and had, was attending an Adventist college, uh, whose father was an elder in the church. Long story short, he went to trial and was convicted of capital murder and sentenced to life in prison. And when you listen to his testimony, it's actually quite profound. Because one of the questions I asked him when we were interviewing him about um, his experience, one of the questions I asked him was, how in prison did you, how did you keep your, 
your mind? How was it that you you kept um, your, your Christianity? You you weren't much of a Christian going into to, to jail and prison, but somehow in there you became a Christian. And he speaks of an experience he had when he was praying, and the Spirit of God visited him very heavily. And God really showed up, and he communicated with God about his situation. He wound up spending 18 years in prison. He was never supposed to get out. It's a miracle that he's out now going around ministering to other folk. But he said something profound, speaking, of the, speaking to the, the mind of Christ. He said that what he found was this. If you are in the presence of God, there is always joy. He said what he learned to do in 18 years in prison, plus the two years he spent in county jail, what he learned was this. As long as he was in the presence of God, there was joy. It didn't matter how bleak the cell, no matter how terrible the food, no matter how violent the people he was serving time with, no matter how mean the guards or the warden, it didn't matter. If he made sure to be in the presence of God every single day, he had joy. And being in the presence of God does more than just give you joy. It transforms the mind. By beholding, we become changed. I want to finish this series on the mind of Christ by saying this. The human mind has mirror um, neurons that mirror the behavior of what we see. This is why a young, a little boy will try and act like his father. He, watching his father, he will learn how to behave uh, uh, in this world. There are mirror neurons that do that. Spiritually exercise your mirror neurons. If you're going to have the mind of Christ, you must be exposed to Christ. You must be learning of Christ. By beholding, we will become changed. Many who are seeking to gain victory over sin, I said this earlier in the week, they don't gain the victory because they spend all their time looking down at their sin. What I want to tell you is that you need to turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. God bless you all in Guam and beyond. Uh, it's been wonderful worshiping with you this week. I'm going to close with prayer. And I know that if I don't see you in Guam one day, by God's grace, I'll see you on the sea of glass. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for um, this opportunity to study your word. Lord, we choose to be the thief that was penitent. The, the thief that saw you as savior. Lord, we want the mind of Christ, the faith of Christ. We want to be more like you, Jesus. So humble us, Lord, to this end. Help us not to focus on the things of this world. Help us not to focus on self. Help us not even to focus on our own sin. Help us to focus on our Savior, as that thief did. This is our prayer in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.